Hallelujah. Come on. Let's just one more time. Let's just give the Lord just a little bit of worship real quick. Father, we just love you, Jesus. You're so awesome. You're so glorious. You're so beautiful. God, I thank you for what you've done, Lord. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. I'm going to move my um, podium up. I, uh, Rick is amazing and memorizes his sermons, and I have not yet um, accomplished that. So, <clears throat> anyways, um, we've, we've started our 30 days of prayer and fasting and uh, gathering and restoring. So I just pray that everyone is going hard and enjoying this because I know that there's great things that God has planned through these 30 days of prayer and fasting. Um, I just want to pray real quick and then we'll go into the Word. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, breaking a settler's mindset. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. I ask you to bless this Word. Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, Father, that our hearts, our spirit, man, would just take this and it would be on good ground and it would produce a great harvest, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to go somewhere different and somewhere deeper, God. And I thank you for the invitation, Lord, and I pray that we would respond correctly, God, that we would respond correctly. Amen. Let's turn to uh, Colossians, the third chapter, if you've got your Bibles with you. If you've got your Bibles, you can follow along. And if you don't, listen real well. <clears throat> Colossians 3, let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay, I want us to look at something real quick right here in Colossians. The word here, mind, can be translated affections. Okay, so what God is saying here, he's saying, I want you to set your affections on things that are not necessarily established here in earth, but what is going to have meaning and purpose in heaven. Okay, so this is what, my con- what I was thinking before I come up here, is that when we were singing that song that I'll stand with arms high and my heart abandoned, is that I believe that that song is calling us, just as the scripture is, to take on the same mind and the same heart and the same attitude of Christ as saying, I will give my all for the purpose of God. I will give up everything I have to see what God has for my life and for everyone around me. That excites me. It excites me because when we stand and we give God everything we have, he can take what we think is little and use it, and it becomes something glorious in his hands. That's exciting. That's exciting. Okay. Let's turn to uh, Matthew, the, the 11th chapter. I kind of want to set us on a, um, a little bit of a journey of, of, of showing us the dangers of settling and the power of saying, I will pioneer for something greater, okay? This is going to be a uh, well-known scripture, most, most likely. Um, it's chapter 11, verse 12, and it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. The scripture talks about how that God is a gentleman, okay? He's not going to force anything on us. Okay, but nowhere in the scripture does it tell us to be gentle with the way we approach God. That it says, come to his throne room with confidence and you go in there and you realize that you've been covered in the blood and don't play games and say, God, I'm gonna go after this and I'm gonna run after you because you want me and I'm gonna do this thing for real. All right, I'm gonna give you a a Hebrew word real quick. I know y'all love this. Um, 
It's, it, it's for the word suffers. So the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What is he saying there? What is, what is Jesus saying? Okay, so the, 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 uh, the Hebrew word here, actually it's a Greek word, is beazo, and it's to force, to crowd oneself to be seized. Okay? So I believe this is what God's saying to us today. He's saying that the people who receive the kingdom, the people who allow themselves to come into the glories of God is not a people who find themselves sitting back and waiting on God to do something awesome, but saying, Lord, I'm going to do this thing because you promised that if I would go after this, you'd give me this. And see, what I find is this, is that what we see is, is that we say, draw not to God and he'll draw not unto us. And we cannot take that scripture and leave it after we get saved. Thank God I come to Jesus and I get saved. That's a glorious, awesome, and amazing experience. But I believe that that scripture is for every single day of our life. That if we will draw close to God and force ourselves into his presence, then he has awesome gifts for us. Okay? Make sense? Maybe. Okay. So God is a gentleman. We found that out. But the scripture never says that we have to be gentle with our approach. He asks us in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in verse 6, he says that, that those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I want to show us the attitude of what he actually is talking about here. The word hunger can be translated to be famished, to be so driven to get what you have to have or you're going to die. And so when I was studying this, I saw, I saw this little kid being so hungry that he was willing to steal to get what he had to have. That he was willing to do whatever it took to get his nourishment. And I believe that's where God's calling us back into as a body of Christ, as a church, to say, God, I'm not going to have this mindset that if I just settle for what you've already given me, that something great will happen and you'll just keep doing this stuff. No, God is calling us to have pioneer mindsets, to say, God, I'm not satisfied with what I have right now because you promised me that there's more. And so the concept is this, in revival it says, it says that the only way that we can really get revival and keep it is to be hungry for God and then never be satisfied with what he gives us. They say, yes, God, this is glorious, I'm thankful for it, but always realize that, God, there's more. He's inexhaustible. And so I think that God said, I want some people that will look at me and say, I want more. Because he is not challenged by us requiring more from him. He is never challenged by us saying, God, I want more. Because in eternity, when we step into eternity, that every single day we will catch one more glimpse of God. Every single second we get one more glimpse of God. And that's why we believe that in Isaiah, that when the angels are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of man. They're saying that not because he's just holy. Okay, They're saying that because they just caught one more glimpse of how holy he is. That we are serving a God that's eternal and cannot be exhausted. But I believe that sometimes we get caught up in our religious methods and the way that we believe and we just say, God, you're great, you're awesome, but I'll just live with this, I'll just deal with it, I'll I'll struggle with pornography for the rest of my life, I'll deal with my issues forever, and, and I'll just love you and serve you and I'll go to heaven. You know? Or, or... 
and she loves me. My grandmother loves when I preach. <clears throat> but she gets mad at me when I say this, that, that, that if, if the only reason that God saved you was just to get you saved and send you to heaven, then, 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 then we should just all die right when we get saved. Just all die. Just, just go to heaven. Let's just die and go to heaven. But that's not the point. The point was when we got saved is to stand up and sing the song of the redeemed and declare it to the nations and give what we freely received. And so if we settle for just coming to church and doing our 45 minute to an hour message, our services and our wasting night deal, and we step outside and feel encouraged and uplifted, I mean, man, I'm, I'm glad I went to church. But if we walk past sick people and we walk past people who are going to hell and we're not bothered by that, then there's something wrong with the way that we've connected with God. Because the only way that we know that we've truly connected with God is if we start loving people. That's what 1 John says. And so I believe that it's not the necessity of us having to do something. It's a necessity that we start working our faith through love. And when we have faith, we'll start seeing signs, wonders, and miracles again. But I believe that we have settled for a Christianity that is not biblical. I think we have settled for a Christianity that has become Americanized rather than Godized. That God is calling us back to saying, what does the Bible really say? And what does the Bible actually say you can do? He says that these signs will follow them that believe. You're the believers. So what follows you? Eyes being opened. And arms growing back. And people being set free from drugs and alcohol. And families being restored. And marriages being restored. That's what we can leave behind as we keep following after God. That's what God has ordained us to leave behind as we keep pioneering into something deeper. Okay? So anyways, I want us to look at Daniel, the Daniel the ninth chapter. If you want to, you can look at it. It's verse 3. I'm not going to really go into it, but it says this. That Daniel, I'm going to set this up a little bit. It says that Daniel saw that the prophecy of Jeremiah was coming up to fulfillment. Jeremiah prophesied that Israel would go into um, captivity for 70 years, okay? And Daniel saw that Jeremiah prophesied that, and it was coming up to the, seventh year, the 70th year, and Daniel said, I'm going to set my face towards God, and I'm going to pray and fast until God does something to set this nation free. And so I believe that's where we are right now in this 30 days, that God has set and destined something not just for this church, but for the church universal, that he's set something up for us to bring one of the greatest awakenings known to man. And this is the moment. This is the hour that we're in, and God is saying, set your face toward me. Set your affections towards me, and see what I can actually do. Okay, I'm going to read this to you real quick. It says, Daniel set his face to God. And I said, Daniel set his affections on God. He put himself in a place of no distractions. He set his entirety on God's spirit, soul, and body. But Daniel said, I'm going to set myself back. And I'm going to seek the face of God and find out what his heart is on this issue. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast, and I'm going to be obedient to the Word of God, and I want to see what happens. <clears throat> and I was talking about this last Wednesday, about fasting. 
I believe that fasting in the church has become something abnormal. That it's shocking when we call a fast. But in, in Christianity, it was a regular practice they did all the time. You could not separate prayer from fasting. Because he said in Matthew 6, when you pray, and then he said, and when you fast, he was saying it's not something you just get, you know, well, God, I'm feeling bad today, so I'll pray. Or, um, you know, my aunt's dying of cancer, so maybe I should fast about that. You know, but God is calling us back into a place that we're a powerful church again. That we have power sent from heaven. That the scripture says that, that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead abides where? In us. And so the spirit that raised you from the dead, from your sin and from your bondage, is the same spirit that can raise somebody else from the dead. I am ready. I work at Lowe's and... It is not where I want to be forever, but I thank God for my job. But I'm willing to you lose my job to lay hands on a sick person in the middle of Lowe's because God is faithful to heal. I'm willing to lose my job to witness to somebody because their soul means more than my measly paycheck compared to their soul. I thank God for my paycheck. <clears throat> Nothing God gives us is measly, but... And so this is a fact that we step back into a realization that we cannot settle for the way things are right now. I cannot settle for churches growing faster than they've ever grown before and we're still losing a generation. But churches are bigger than they've ever been before. You cannot show me in, 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 in history where mega churches were as much as they are right now. There is a church nearly out in this area, every block. You know? But see, what we're seeing is this, is that we're bringing people in, but we are not sending people out in authority. And whether or not we preach the right gospel, it does not depend on whether or not I live it right. Because maybe I'll raise the dead and I'll heal the sick and I'll cast out demons because I'm willing to give this thing up. But it's depending on whether or not we'll take the message and run with it. <clears throat> and so I believe in each and every one of you here that God has destined you to do something glorious. Do you believe that? I believe that. I'm not satisfied. And I can never be satisfied with just going to church and going home and me and my family being okay. And not being able to weep and mourn and pray over a generation that's dying and going to hell. I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with just getting enough of God so that my life isn't horribly miserable. He wants your spirit and your soul to prosper. He wants your entirety to prosper. And I believe that we, 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 the way that we can prosper is not stepping back and saying, I want to hear a message, I want to hear a good song, and I'm leaving out of here. But it's by us stepping back and saying, I'm not going to just let the standard be in the four walls of the church, but I'm bringing a standard home with me. 
And so Daniel said, if no one else will pray, and if no one else will fast, and if it costs me my life, if it sends me to a lion's den, I will still believe and still fight for Christianity. I didn't call it that back then. He didn't even have the redemption of the Lamb of God yet, but he said, it's worth my life because I'm not living for right now. I'm living and believing for tomorrow. First Peter says that all the prophets and everyone else that prophesied about Jesus and everything else, they were not prophesying for the moment. They were prophesying for when he came. They were tooling and working and prophesying, not for what was going on right then, but they believed that something greater was going to happen. And so that's why we're fighting, and that's why we're preparing, and that's why we're preparing the ground. And we're saying, God, come, because there's something greater in the future. I think it's near future. Because <clears throat> God didn't give me enough patience to wait 20 years. <clears throat> I want a revival. And let me, I, I don't know who grew up in um, old-time Pentecostal, I did, or old-time church, that you had revival was defined as, you know, uh, a week-long event or, or evangelists coming in. Because I, I evangelize. And so <clears throat> I get to come in, shout, scream, holler, and leave. You know, But I'm not satisfied with people looking at me and saying, bless God, revival came because you came and preached a good message. But, but nothing transforms the culture of that community. Nothing transforms the culture of that church. And that's what God's calling us back to. It's not being settled with, I'm just... It's just the way it's going to be. Abortions will always happen. People are always going to have divorces. Everything's going to be, it's just the way it is. I can't be settled in my mind that that's just the way it is. Because I believe that when revival actually comes and God starts pouring out His Spirit, culture changes. I believe that when God comes to a place, that, 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 that the, the, um, the strip joints close down. I'm I'm praying over one strip joint in my community that I know is going to come down. Because the culture shifts and no one wants to go there anymore. I'm praying for the people to get saved that owns it. And then maybe they'll turn it into like a house of prayer or something. I don't know. But, 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 you know, that we're moving into a season that we don't just settle for the way things are. But we say, God, I want to see this thing the way you see it. I want to believe in this thing the way that you believe in it. And so how do we do this? I said, we set our affections on God. How do we set our affections on God? Uh, this is going to be so difficult that you're, it's going to blow your mind. I'm just kidding. Through prayer, the word, and fasting. I teach this over and over and over and over. It gets, it gets boring sometimes and redundant probably, but it's the only way we're actually going to transform things is by doing the little things that seem ridiculous. Prayer and fasting and the word. And so what we're raising up in this church and in this community, I believe, is a culture of prayer and a culture of fasting and a culture of meditating on the word of God again. Because it's not, it's not the extravagant things that we do. That's not what's going to transform culture. If we set up a huge stage and had revival services and had one of the biggest names and the biggest singers coming in and it was glorious and awesome, that's not going to change culture. 
But a people who plant themselves in society that says, I will not turn my back on the kid that God's put on my heart to pray for every day. I will not stop until they're transformed, until they're changed. I'll tell you a couple of stories. I have no idea how much longer I have. <clears throat> so what we are is this. Is it in the, in the uh, beginnings of the Great Awakenings? Does anybody know about the Great Awakenings? A little bit? Okay. In the beginnings of the Great Awakening, what we see is, and I'll explain, Great Awakening was, was when America was completely transformed with the move of God. The whole area was just, they said that in, in Kentucky, a man came in and he didn't know about what was going on. And he says this, the atmosphere in the air just seems pure. He had no clue. That masses were coming in and alcoholics were coming out of, of the pubs, walking into the streets where they were having services, falling out under the power of God and wake up completely sober preaching the gospel. What does that sound like? It sounds like when Jesus crossed over and met the demon-possessed man and they had tied him up, put him in chains. The church had done everything they knew to do except give him Jesus. And he broke everything they gave him to tie him up with and to keep him quiet. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he sets him free. And what's Jesus do? Y'all probably heard this before from me. He looks at him and says, don't go through a 10-year discipleship program because you had so many demons and you were addicted to things. I want you to go to your city and become evangelist. He was ready to follow Jesus. He was like, Jesus, I want to go with you. I'm hungry. Let's do this. And Jesus said, no. Your calling is here in your, your region. Transform it. And so I believe, dude, I'm excited about this, that, that prostitutes will walk in and we will encounter uh, drug addicts and, and we'll encounter people who are completely addicted and controlled. And we'll say it was for freedom that Christ set me free, so be free in the name of Jesus. And they'll be set free and be totally different. Oh yeah, we'll disciple them and we'll raise them up, but baby, if they want to give their testimony and preach the gospel and let them. Dude, I heard a guy that got saved one time and he'd been saved for like that long and got up and gave his testimony and cussed. Just started, just right up, right from the, just cussing all the, you know. I, I, was, I thought I was at uh, my old church a long time ago. He cussed. But anyways, and so, dude, I'm not, I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they act. Let's just get them saved. See, what happens is we come into this mindset of settling and sitting around Jesus and being in church and being just, this is great, I love this. But then something happens with a lady, a lady with an alabaster box that says, listen, I'm not comfortable just sitting here. I'm not comfortable with everyone thinking, and no one liked her. She wasn't comfortable hiding in her place of despise. She said, I've got to get to Jesus and give him what I have. And so when we start going after God, guess what? Your, uh, the way people think about you might change just a little bit. Because we're not normal anymore. See, I don't understand when Christianity become normal. You know, that we're supposed to be different. They're supposed to see something different about us. This lady, she asked me at work, because she was, man, she was just talking really ugly in front of me. And somebody said, oh, he's a minister. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. She said, please be praying for me. I said, okay. And she came up to me the next day. She said, she said have you been praying for me? I said, I said, yes, every day. I said, I pray for everybody here every day. And it shocked her that someone actually cared to pray for her every day. We'd be different. 
we just set ourselves apart and say, it's okay that I don't look like everybody else. It's okay that I don't fit in. Because guess, guess what? When we start preaching when no one else will preach, dude, I'm waiting for the day that God gives me anointing to grab my speakerphone at Lowe's and start calling people's names out that I don't know, and they just come up weeping and crying under the, under the presence and, and under the presence of God. I'm waiting for it, dude. I'm like, God, let's do this thing. Y'all think it's happened before. There's a story up in Redding, California. Redding, California. This kid went into the grocery store. The presence of God hit him. He started getting words of knowledge. He started calling people's names out and their sickness. They started coming up to the front. They were healed under the power of God. And then he just started calling people out through the intercom. And revival broke out in the grocery store. Dude, if we say we have revival and it doesn't leave this four walls, we don't have revival. We don't have an outpouring of God's presence. If people aren't getting saved, healed, and delivered outside, but we think they're getting saved, healed, and delivered in here, we are missing something. God sold me a long time ago. He said, don't base your effectiveness on how great your services are. Base your effectiveness on how effective you are outside. And we can get some bumping music and people go crazy and it'd be awesome and everything, but if it doesn't shift something out there, then what we're doing in here is not a celebration. Because I want to celebrate God, and I want to celebrate what He's doing, but I want to celebrate it because we're actually releasing what we're celebrating out there. <clears throat> I think I said I have 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Give me a little bit longer, okay? I got 10 minutes. I'm almost through. Okay, so I'm going to hurry up with this and give you one more thing. Joshua, in the 24th chapter, he said this, Okay? Joshua said, listen, the Lord gave you, after you crossed over the river, he gave you lands that were not yours. He gave you vineyards you did not plant, and he gave you all sorts of stuff that you did nothing to get. Okay? But you have a choice. Either you serve God and fear him and live a life of righteousness, or you can choose to serve the gods on the other side of the river that your father served, and then start serving the gods of the Am Amorites. But then he said something significant. He said, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I believe that what we're seeing is, is this. Is we're saying my kids are going astray. And, 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 and I don't know, my family's breaking apart. What's going on? I'm not, I'm, you know, we're almost. And this is what Joshua said. He said, set a standard for your home and God will handle the rest. Train up a child in the way he will go and he will not depart from when he's old. Okay? I believe that scripture because if you'll live this thing, rather than allowing somebody up here barking at them, then they'll actually see how they actually are supposed to live it. And so what we're doing is, we're saying, go to church, you have no choice. Okay? Listen to the preacher, don't watch mom and dad. Dude, y'all think I'm crazy, but when you set up an atmosphere in your home, you open the door for your children to be uh, uh, attacked by things. Think I'm crazy? Listen, this is what happened. Is it the children of Israel? They said, we'll serve God, we'll do this thing. And guess what Joshua did? He almost tried to talk them out of it. He was like, well, talk, you know, you can't do this. He's, he's, you know, you got to serve him for real. you got to really do this. And I don't believe he was trying to talk them out of it. He was trying to test if they were truly persuaded to serve God. Because, dude, he was raised in a generation that one second they were serving God and one second, let's just make a cow and tell Moses that it made itself. You know? I mean, that's what they did. Aaron was like, 
They just put it in there and it come out. You know? And I'm like, what? So anyways, so... But there was a standard that has to be set. So this is, and I'm, I'm hurrying. I know I don't have much long. So this, he said, for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The, the word house there in the Hebrew can be translated a home to build and to have children. Okay? So he was not just saying for me and my house, my four corners, the people that live in my home. He was saying for me and my children's children and my children's children's children. He was saying I am preparing a culture and a standard for my family that I won't just serve the Lord and my wife won't just serve the Lord and my children won't just serve the Lord, but the children my children have will serve the Lord because we're building a standard. We're building a home that serves God. So that's what God's calling us back into. The culture of revival is not just in the four walls of the church, but the culture of God breaks into our homes and God starts moving in our homes. How much longer I got? <clears throat> Seven minutes. I'm sorry. I am so not good at this. I am not used to this. So you'll have to work with me. Okay, so anyways, um, I want us to understand something really quick. When we have a settler's mindset and we say, God, I'm, I, 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 I'm just going to live the way I want to live and you're awesome and I'm going to serve you because I want to go to heaven. Just don't send me to hell, God. I just want to go to heaven. And when we start living in this settled mindset, this is what happened. We stop confronting comfort and conformity because comfort and com- conformity Comfort and conformity becomes more appealing than glory. Because when we start wanting to live comfortable and compromise, God has to step back and say, I can't give you the blessings I want to give you because you can't handle them correctly. And so God's calling us into a place of mourning, which we translate fasting. But Jesus said to, to John's disciples that when the bridegroom, when the bridegroom leaves, then we start mourning. We start fasting and we start becoming uncomfortable. I believe that's what we're doing these 30 days, is getting used to being uncomfortable. Just be, get, get used to it. I like it because it keeps me hungry. Okay. Then what happens, and as we, com- we take on a settler's mindset, we start preaching a message that never confronts complacency and comfort and never confronts our sin. So when we start serving a God that looks like us, we start preaching a message that conforms the way that we live. So the church that, that accepts sins that are blatantly pointed out in Scripture that will send you to hell, they start accepting those things. Well, they're deceived. No, no, baby, we, we deceive ourselves also when we think that talking about our friends is okay. I, I'm, just, I'm just telling them, will you please be praying for so-and-so because, listen. And so we've got to start preaching a message that confronts what we are, because the Word of God says that it's piercing, it's dividing, and it discerns. And so what happens is when we start living in the Word, it starts piercing in us, dividing us out between soul and spirit and body, and we start discerning the things that have to start changing. Okay? So anyways, I probably got five minutes. So I want us to stand today and say, God, I'm going to confront Everything I have allowed to have power in my home and in my life so that my children won't have to deal with this in the end. That I'll handle this. I'll be a giant killer like David so, so where my kids won't have to kill that giant. So let's do this. If you can, st- let's just stand up and let's music. I am, I'm great at this, y'all. Uh.
<clears throat> Let's just lift our hands. Let's lift our hands real quick. Holy God, we thank you. Father, I pray that this word would be powerful and living, God, and active. Do the work that you intended it to do, Father. I want us, as we're just in this moment, I want you to look at God with your face towards Him, like Daniel, saying, God, I'm fixing myself towards you. I'm, I'm getting rid of every other affection, every other lover, every other idol that I put before you. And I'm saying, God, here I am. Do this for you, but also do this for your children and for your children's friends and for your friends and people you don't even know. Lord, we set ourselves to serve you. We set ourselves to seek you, Father. Because we have to have you, Lord Jesus. For I pray for a hunger to be placed in each and every one of us, God. I pray that a hunger would be imparted to us. That we would be so hungry for you, God, that in return you'd start filling us and we'd burn for a nation and we'd burn for a generation, Lord. Oh, we lift you up, Jesus. We lift you up, Jesus. Holy God. If I get the, the prayer team to come up here. With the message that I've just preached, I'm going to give probably the oddest altar call you could ever imagine. Okay? I believe that God has ordained today as we set ourselves to serve Him with everything that we've got to take on the same mind of Christ to say, God, I'll give everything for this that He wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. So we just felt led that if anyone in here has a physical sickness, God wants to heal that. I believe that. I told you this is just, it's not going along with my, my message, but dude, God wants to heal you. So I'm going to welcome you up to the front real quick. I know that this is a little odd, but I want you to come to the front and we're going to lay hands on you and pray the prayer of faith. And I believe that you will recover. So come now if you want prayer.